conviction that we're going to stand for the word of God, stand for what's right and not compromise what his word says. And so, Father, I thank you this morning for every man that's standing right now. I thank you that you have given them the greatest responsibility of all, and that is to father children, to lead and guide and direct them according to your word. You are the greatest father. Even if we don't have the right father to look to, even if we don't have the greatest example in front of us, we have you showing us, help us, encourage us, direct us in training up these children. We are stewards. And we value that which you have given to us. So, Father, as I charge these men this morning to stand and rise to the occasion, I thank you that they will proclaim the gospel of the kingdom in their homes, in their workplace, in their businesses, among their co-workers, but most importantly, among their children. That we will think beyond ourselves and we will see the generations and the generations and the generations that will come after us. That will carry the torch of the kingdom of God because of what we put in place today. We set ourselves to this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. We have a small gift. The ushers will be coming by. Pass along to you. Small gift, small token. But we want you to know that at Anchor Faith Church, we love you and we appreciate you and your gift to the body. Hallelujah. Are you thankful for your fathers? Amen. Are you thankful for your husbands that are fathering your children? Wives? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We live in a nation today that we have more single moms probably than ever before. So we value the role of Fathers being fathers, not optional. You know, we, we, we see it in our nation today. We just see an abandonment taking place. We just don't feel like fathering anymore. We quit. We don't feel like taking care of a child. We quit. And uh, sometimes that doesn't even mean that we leave the home and, and, and leave the children. Sometimes we're just we have no voice in the home. We have we get we're not giving any direction The Wives and the moms are having to do all the work, but I thank God for godly men. Amen. God has always been looking for a man in the earth to accomplish his will and his purpose through, and so I'm thankful for you this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We are in the middle of our series called Immovable. Immovable. And, um, you know, all, all week long since Wednesday night, I, I've really thought nothing other than of the tragedy that took place Wednesday night in Charleston, South Carolina. And, um, you know, I, I told you at the beginning, the first week that we got into this series, that this message was probably one of the most relevant messages I've ever preached. Uh, relevant in the fact that as the day goes on and as time goes on, we continue to see more and more destruction taking place. And how important it is for us as a church to understand our role and our responsibility in the earth. And when a tragedy like that takes place in a church, I mean, you're just thinking, where else can I go? Where else can I go? What else can I do? I mean, if I can't even be safe 
worshiping and praising and praying to my God. What else could I possibly do? And we know that as time goes on, it's going to continue to get worse and worse. But I'm, I'm here to bring words of comfort and peace this morning. And, and I told you, even though these first two messages that we've addressed so far have been hard in a sense, because we, we have to deal with the issue in the church before the church is going to affect the world. If the church doesn't deal with the issue of sin, and if the church doesn't deal with, with the fact that we've got to be a righteous, holy church unto God, we're not going to change anything out there. It's the bottom line. Jesus is coming back for a righteous, holy church. The church is not a building. Church is not a name. Church is not a sign. A church is a people. Church is a nation. He says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's a group of people he's looking for. And so the church, the people, have to rise up to the call and not compromise the word in the last days. Not compromise the word in the last days. See, sometimes we may not just uprightly reject the word of God. But when we accommodate and accept things that don't line up with the word of God, we're still rejecting it. When we allow things that don't align with kingdom principles. Guys, the world isn't going to figure out righteousness on its own. The world isn't going to figure out holiness on its own. The world is not going to figure out God is my heavenly father. I ought to love him and live for him. No, it's up to us as the church. We are the light in the midst of darkness. So that means that there won't be an absence of darkness. That means that we will change the darkness. So we'll continue to see dark things happening. We'll continue to see darkness around us. We'll continue to see unmentionables take place. We'll continue to see a drastic escalation of sin in the earth. But that's more and more reason why you and I need to be doing our part. More and more reason. Every time I hear one of these tragedies, I remember uh, uh, the, the service where I came. It was right before Christmas, two years ago, I believe it was. And I had to stand up in this pulpit and minister to a lot of people that had a lot of questions about God. Because somebody went into a kindergarten classroom and shot, what, 27 children, something like that. Now, I've got to stand here, and I've got to proclaim that God is good. I've got to proclaim that God is in control. I've got to proclaim things like that and somehow get you to believe that in the midst of these tragedies. But these things are the very reason why you and I are here. There is the devil. He is real. He does not care about you. He does not care about children. He does not care about two-year-olds and three-year-olds. He doesn't even care about the ones that aren't even born yet. He's trying to take them out of the world before they even make it. The second a female finds out she's pregnant, the enemy is already working to thwart that life. He does not care. But we have a God that is good. I, I'm telling you, if you were not here Wednesday night, you need to get that message. It is online. You need to go here. It is, it, it, it is no coincidence that I ministered that message. That night. That's how fresh it was. That I just get done talking about a God that loves you 
a God that cares about you, a God that is good. He is good. He doesn't just do good things. He is a good God. He's only capable of doing good. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give life. So people that want to question, what, you know, where was God in all this? Where, why did this tragedy happen in a church? You know, where was God? They were, they were worshiping God and it still happened. But I just have to ask the question, was life given or was life taken that night? Life was taken. And there's only one person in this entire universe that comes to take life. And that's Satan. That was not God. That was not God. My God is good. Now, my God knows how to take even what the enemy means for evil and to turn it around for good. And I'm excited to see what the church is going to respond. But it's our time to respond in times like these. Are we going to respond with hatred? Are we going to respond with fear? Are we going to respond with compromise? Are we going to respond the way the world responds? I'm tell you right now, this nation does not have a race issue. This nation does not have a gun issue. This nation has a Jesus issue. That is the bottom underlying line behind everything that takes place in this world. If you eliminate it to it's just a white guy hating on a black person. If you just uh, 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 eliminate it to, uh, we just have a gun problem. We just need to take away all the guns. And you're missing the point. You're missing the point that there is a devil that is here to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And people need Jesus. That man that went up in there, that young man, 21 years old, psychotic in his mind, as crazy as he is, as, as ruthless as he was, he needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. We've got to quit seeing it for surface level. We've got to quit seeing it for, for what the media proclaims it to be. And we've got to understand they need the kingdom of God. That man's searching for something. That young man is looking for something and the answer is in the kingdom. The answer is in Jesus. And when the church responds like the world does, we are removing the one part of the equation that can save his soul. And the soul of many others that are contemplating works just like this. So we've got to be the church in the last days. We've got to be the church in the last days. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus begins to talk about the last days. I'm going to start with verse 3. It says, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us when these things will be. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. This is his first words. They're looking for a sign to tell us when the end is coming. And his first words is, watch out for deception." That apparently there might be a lot of signs. Apparently there might be a lot of ideas of when Jesus is coming. People uh, have tried to pinpoint the day. We got people right now that are proclaiming that he's coming this September. 
Now, here's what happens when, when we give dates and time frames. And we're going to look at this in, in today's message and next week. We're going to start looking at the signs of the times. Because he does say that we, do, we will not know the hour or the day, but he does say we can know the seasons. There are signs of the end, and we need to know this as a church. We need to know. All I know right now is I'm closer than anybody ever has been to the return of Jesus, right? And, and look, guys, throughout this whole thing, my message today, once again, is comfort and peace. The second the church responds in fear, we become paralyzed and we can't do anything. I was listening to one minister talk about it, and he says the, the, the problem with people naming t- time frames and dates and giving actual uh, periods of time when Jesus is coming, the problem is everybody shuts down. And so his recommendation to people was live today like Jesus could come back any moment. But live your life like he could come back after you die. That means keep doing what you're doing. Jesus is coming back for a church that is busy. He said, occupy till I come. He didn't say sit around and wait till I come. He didn't say lock yourselves inside your homes and your colonies and your communities and your churches. He said, occupy. That means there's still a work to do. Until the day he comes, there's still a work to be accomplished. And so right here, the first thing that he addresses is deception. Don't let anybody deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. His words are not of fear. His words are of comfort and peace. This is going to be the underlying message today. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. Guys, what we're seeing today is just the beginning of sorrows. I saw someone post on Facebook just this past week. He said, we're no longer looking for the signs of the return of Jesus. We're looking at them. We're seeing it right now before our very eyes. The things that our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents talked about, the things that the disciples and the apostles were alluding to, the things that Jesus was speaking, we are seeing it take place today and more numerous than ever before. But he still says, do not be troubled. Do not be deceived. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, And kill you. You will be hated by all nations. For for my name's sake. We talked about that last week. And then many will be offended. Many will betray one another. And will hate one another. Then. Many false prophets will rise up. And deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness is the issue we're seeing today. Baltimore is the result of lawlessness. We, we, we have a disdain for the law today. Now, I'm not saying every cop is a good cop. There's plenty of bad ones out there. Just like 
There's plenty of bad preachers out there. But don't put that label on me because I'm not a bad preacher. We don't label them all that way. We don't paint them all with the same brush, right? There's a lawlessness. And I'll tell you what happened this past week. A man goes into a church, sits in a service for at least an hour, and then turns around and shoots nine people. That is a disdain for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's lawlessness. He's not even submitted to the law of the kingdom. He's not even submitted to God himself. It's lawlessness. And it says right here, Jesus says, lawlessness will abound. There's another passage that says there will be an increase of lawlessness. We're seeing this take place. And it says, the love of many will grow cold. But look at this in verse 13. He... Who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then, then the end will come. The exciting part is in the midst of all this, we are seeing the gospel of the kingdom preached and ministered at a higher rate than ever before. Now, sometimes you you hear me talk a lot about the negativity of technology. But there's a positive side to it as well. There's a positive side that we have the gospel at our fingertips. The gospel is more readily available today than it has ever been in any time, in any generation. People that need Jesus, it is not far from them. We're seeing the church rise up and do miraculous things today. We're seeing uh, generations come to the Lord that used to be hard to reach. I, I, I mean, our largest demographic in this church is young couples, young married couples with young children. The churches I grew up had a bunch of old people. And I thank God for the older ones. I thank God for the past generations. I thank God for the wisdom and their wealth. But today we're reaching generations that were turned off by church. Today we are employing people in church. We have 17 and 18 year olds wanting to be in full time ministry. Wanting to serve in churches with their gifts, with, with their gifts uh, such as graphic design and photography and videography and worship. I mean, the church I grew up in, the, the lady that was singing on stage, she had to be at least 50. Didn't have that great of a voice. Now, man, they love God and they can worship God and they can praise Him. But today we're seeing a younger generation love God just as much as them. That it's not just something you do after you've gone through your teenage years and gone through your young years and messed up and and fallen away. That they're coming to Jesus early. We're seeing that happen today. There are more pastors my age today than I've ever seen in my life. There are more pastors my age, early 30s, pastoring churches of 2,000, 5,000, 10,000. 15,000, 20,000. 
come on, this isn't all negative. Again, just like we, we, we said on Wednesday, if you focus on the wrong thing, then your faith will become extinguished. Let's look at what God is doing in the earth today. He says, do not be troubled. Don't let this trouble you. He says, I'm moving, I'm working. Amen. Go on down to um, verse 36. Verse 36. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But I can tell you right now, the word gives us many directions and many points that show to a time. Things that we can look for. Signs that we can look at and say, it's coming. Now, I know they've been saying he's coming for 2,000 years. But we're seeing more things line up today, even historically speaking. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't understand all of it. I'm a history guy. I, I like history. I like those type of things. And so I read it and I study it. But, they're, they're, you know, a lot of the things with Israel, the things with, that's going on with Israel just perplex me. Yeah, have you ever looked at Israel on a map? It's not even that big of a land mass. It's not even that big of a territory, yet everybody's after it. Everybody treats Israel like there's some large nation with the greatest resource of weapons, and so they're bringing everything they can against it. And we've got to be careful because now our own nation is beginning to set itself up against Israel. Dangerous. Dangerous. But here, he says, you won't know the hour. You won't know the day. Only the Father knows. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So he tells us that we won't know the hour or the day, but then he says, but here's a sign. This will give you an idea. Now there's four things that were going on at the time of Noah. Four things. Number one, there was an increase of violence and immorality. You go back to Genesis chapter 6, this is what Jesus is referring to. There was an increase of violence and immorality. Number two, there was a righteous remnant. In the midst of all that, there was still someone found to be righteous. And guys, Jesus is still looking for the righteous in the midst of the violence. He's still looking for the righteous in the midst of the greatest evil. Number one was the increase of violence and immorality. Number two was a righteous remnant. Number three was the sudden removal of the righteous. The sudden removal of the righteous. He tells Noah, build an ark. I'm going to start over with you. You you ought to go through the Bible and look at how many times God wanted to start over. God never wanted to quit this plan called earth, this kingdom called earth. He's always wanted to start over, and he's going to start over again one day. 
sudden removal of that righteous remnant. You've got to be found righteous. And the last thing was catastrophic world judgment once the righteous were removed. And that's what we know of as the seven years of tribulation. I have exciting news for you today. We will not be around for the tribulation. Now, many times, most Christians think that the rapture and the second coming of Jesus are the same thing. But those are two totally separate events. Two completely different events. The rapture, Jesus will come in the clouds. He will take up his church in a catching away. The word rapture is actually not even in the Bible. But there's many things that point to the rapture experience. But Jesus will not come to the earth at that time. For those seven years, catastrophic judgment will take place on this earth. And people will still have an opportunity to come to know Jesus as their Lord. But they'll have to endure some things. They'll have to endure some things because they didn't go in the rapture. We'll go up in the rapture, and we will not be a part of any of the tribulation that will take place. You think it's bad now, you wait till the tribulation shows up. You wait till the Antichrist shows up. And the Antichrist, he's going to show up and he's going to seem like a peaceful guy. He's going to draw all the world to him. Now, you know, our past generations have had all kinds of ideas of who the Antichrist may be. We have ideas of who the Antichrist may be today. I was listening to uh, one minister. He, talk, he said, I don't know who the Antichrist is today, but I, I know of a lot of candidates. <laughs> <laughs> right? We all got our ideas. We've all got our ideas of who the Antichrist might be. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is good news for the church. This is good news for the church, guys. Well, the, the, the second we become fearful, you, you can't affect what you fear. You can't affect what you fear. If you fear the world, you won't help the world. And in every communication that is given in the word of God concerning the end times and the signs of the times, there's one underlying message throughout all of them, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Paul, whether it's Peter, whether it's John, all of them have this one underlying message. Don't be afraid. Do not be troubled. But be in comfort and peace. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Isn't this interesting? We always talk about it's going to happen like a thief in the night. But that's for the world, not for the church. He says, for you, brethren, it shouldn't be as a thief in the night. That means we should have some kind of idea that this is getting ready to take place. It's not going to be so surprising for the church. 
See, a lot of pastors use that. He's coming like a thief in the night. You better get your heart right. You better get ready. And just to scare people into making Jesus their Lord. But then they never make Jesus their Lord because they're just fearful of him coming and sending them to judgment or being left behind. When I was growing up, there was a whole series called Left Behind. Why didn't they call it Taken Away? That's more exciting. But no, we have this fear factor that we got to put in. You're going to get left behind if you don't make Jesus Lord. If you, and, and so then we have the wrong heart motive. It's not about being left behind. It's about reaching people for Jesus before that day comes. Because when you see people the way God sees people, you will work hard to change them. So he's not going to come upon the church as the thief in the night. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. See, when we see these tragedies take place, the first thing that should rise up in you is, I have the answer. I have the answer. Not, oh, no. I wonder how many people didn't go to church today because they're fearful of what might take place. How many people were afraid to go to a movie theater because somebody went into a movie theater in Colorado one time and shot a bunch of people? It sets fear in our heart. And so these men of God are trying to get across a message. There's nothing to fear. You're not of the darkness. You're of the light. We're of the light. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Why? Because there's a work we got to do. We can't get caught up in their mess because we got to be changing their mess. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. This is not the time for a church to be taking sides on gun policies and racial issues. This is the time for the church to rise up in love and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom. Faith and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now look at verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also were doing. These are to be words of comfort. These are to be words of peace that cause us to rise up. In knowing that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He's caused us to be victorious. He's caused us to triumph in Christ Jesus. These are words of of comfort and peace that we can know the end. We can know the end. He continues to go on with verse 12. Or skip on down to verse 14. Uh, he's beginning to give different exhortations here. In verse 14, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. 
How many wish it said be patient with some? Be patient with all. This is the work we're supposed to be doing as the day draws near. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. See, the church isn't supposed to be responding in hatred and evil to catastrophic tragedy like what took place this last week. When the day draws near, the more evil that shows up, the more love that needs to be given. Warn those that are unruly. Comfort the weak and the faint-hearted. Verse 16, rejoice always. Always. Pray without ceasing. Guys, there is a need for prayer more than ever before. The more and more I read about the, the signs of the end and the end times, the more and more I recognize a need for just the basic disciplines of Christian living. Last week, I placed an emphasis on being in the word and knowing the word. Knowing the word for yourself, not knowing the word because your pastor taught it, not knowing the word because your parents told you that verse, not knowing the word because somebody quoted it on TV or you read it in some book. Knowing the word of God for yourselves. And now we're seeing that there must be an increase in prayer. There must be an increase in a prayer regimen in our lives. That we can no longer slouch it off as, well, you know, I I wish I could pray or I don't know how to pray or I don't know where to start. It's time to get on our knees and pray. Fathers, I don't know how many of you spend time throughout your day every day taking time to pray over your children. But if you're not doing that, you need to start doing that today. You need to pray for your family and you need to pray for your children. Not just hope, not just teach, not just give a great inheritance. Uh, There was a, a, a day when David was getting ready to die and he had an inheritance to pass on to his son Solomon. And he said, the greatest inheritance that I can pass on is a love for God. Not an amount of money. He's a king. He could have passed on any inheritance he wanted to. Not just teaching and wisdom. Well, I taught him how to work on a car. I taught him how to start a business. I taught him how to handle finances. No, you need to pray for your children that within them they will have a love for God. These are the dads we need in the last days. We don't need dads that are stepping in the background and letting the the mothers and the wives take all the take all the credit. It's time for dads to rise up in the nation of the United States of America. Today we're going to pray over baby bottles that we're turning into options now. And a lot of these babies don't have dads. They have someone that fathered them gave birth to them, gave a seed to them. But they do not have a dad. They do not have a father figure. And I thank God for the single moms. I thank God for the grace of God that comes upon their lives to operate in both roles. But we need dads. We need dads in the earth today.
You need to pray over your children. You need to lay hands on them. You need to, now I'm not talking about, you know, little Betty by prayers at night before they go to sleep. I'm talking about prayers of security, prayers of protection, prayers of godly wisdom, prayers of that they will not compromise the word as they grow older. Real prayers. He says, pray without ceasing. He's talking about the end times. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Jesus is coming back. Guys, there's two things we can be excited about in the midst of all this. Number one, God is in control. God is in control. God knows what he's doing in the last days. God hasn't stepped out. God hasn't taken a back seat. This will happen because there will be judgment and wrath upon those that do not choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is in control. Number two, Jesus is coming back for his church. Jesus is coming back for his church. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Once again, we're seeing an admonishment. Don't be fearful. Don't fret. Don't be troubled. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. In the last days, there is a need for a church that will rise up and proclaim the kingdom of God in the midst of the worst tragedy. Don't be shaken. Don't be troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as it is from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. One of the saddest parts, one of the hardest parts about being a pastor in the last days is the fact that many will fall away from the faith. Many will fall away from the faith. I was just watching a video this past week, as much as I could tolerate of it, of pastors, big name pastors, big name pastors, that are now preaching what they call the doctrine of inclusion. Doctrine of inclusion. That nobody goes to hell. Jesus loves people so much that he came and he, he died on the cross and he poured out his blood and his forgiveness is available for everybody and th- nobody's going to go to hell. Regardless of how I live, regardless of if I ever choose. And not only that, but the doctrine of inclusion includes every religion It doesn't matter which one, just as long as you have some form of discipline in your life. It could be Gandhi, it could be Buddha, it could be Islam. There's a group right here in this city, a group of universalists that meet once a month or however often they meet. And it's just open, whatever you are, if you're Christian, if you're Buddhist, if you're 
Muslim, if you're whatever. I thought it was hilarious that this guy was listing off all these different religions. And then he mentions two guys, two guys that are known atheists. Like, did you not do your homework? Like, they don't even believe that there is a God at all. And you've included them in your little circle. And they're going to get to heaven. It's sad. Ministers that used to preach the gospel when I was growing up that I used to watch. Falling away. That's hard as a pastor to watch that. It's hard as someone that knows the truth. Oh, it's so difficult, guys, when you know the truth and you know the truth will set you free. And you see the bondage. You see what they're tied up in. You see what the the struggles that they're in. And you're just thinking, if you could just come to the truth, you could be set free. The falling away. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the sin of perdition. That is the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Wow. And to think that people will follow that. To think that people will actually be drawn. I mean, it's so weird sometimes. You read it in the Bible and you're thinking, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, you're telling me about it. There's no way I'm going to do it. Yet people will. People will fall away. They'll fall away from truth. They'll fall away from the faith. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. He's saying here that you will know. The second that Antichrist shows up, he's on the clock. He has seven years. Seven years. I'm not going to get into the tribulation and prophecy and revelations and all that stuff in this series. That's another time. I'm talking about the church's role and position in the midst of what we're seeing today. But we won't be here for the tribulation. We won't be here for the Antichrist. We won't be here for the mark of the beast. But the signs that we're seeing today are bad enough to get people off. We don't have to have an Antichrist for Christians to fall away from the faith. We don't have to have a mark of the beast for believers to fall away and choose not to follow God any longer. We're seeing it happen already. We're seeing these things take place. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now uh, restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. That means he's going to do the works of Satan. The Antichrist is going to do the very works of Satan. He is controlled by Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, uh, our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Watch this. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Once again, guys, the message I want to get across today is in the midst of destruction, in the midst of violence, in the midst of immorality. God has made a way of peace and comfort. We can be comforted by his word. We can be comforted in the midst of destruction, in the midst of the things that we're seeing take place. There is the opportunity for comfort and peace. This is not a time to rise up in fear. I was already planning on going this direction without the events that took place on Wednesday. But even in the midst of how fresh that is on our minds, God wants us to be comforted. God wants us to be at peace because if we're not comforted and if we're not at peace, we cannot change the world. These signs of the times, they're not to bring fear and discouragement. They're not, this is not a time for the church to cower down. This is not a time for the church to relinquish and just say, well, Jesus, just hurry up and come back. This is a time to rise up and say, I belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We said this on day one, that the church knows opposition. The church was born in the midst of some of the greatest persecution this world has ever known. And we're seeing it come back around. We're seeing it come full circle once again. We're seeing people today beheaded for their belief in Jesus Christ. We're seeing people shot. We're seeing people drug out into the streets. I remember when I was a junior in high school. When two men went on a rampage in Columbine. And their whole mission was, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And if the answer was yes, they'd shoot him. On the spot. The beginning of my senior year in high school in Fort Worth, Texas, on a Wednesday evening, a man went into Wedgwood Baptist Church on a Wednesday night during a youth rally and shot, I believe it was five or six kids. One of them that went to my high school. I went to a small school. I graduated with 10 kids. She was a freshman. I was starting my senior year. And the next day, probably one of the most tiring, dreariest days of my entire life. I mean, kids were laying on the floor, couldn't even move. I mean, you, you didn't even feel like moving a muscle. You were just so drained and tired and weary and wondering how could this take place. 
I remember that night seeing it on the news and then getting a phone call that one of our students in our school was at the church. And then just as the night goes on, progressively find out was she shot, was she not shot. Okay, she was shot. Someone thought she got shot in the shoulder. She ended up getting shot in the head. And then I wake up in the morning and my mom tells me she passed away. Going to her funeral three days later. This is nothing new, guys. The enemy wants to steal. The enemy wants to kill. And the enemy wants to destroy. But the signs of the time bring comfort and peace to the church because God knows what he's doing. God is in control. This is not a time to question God. This is not a time to raise questions. Where was God? Where, what's he doing? Why would he allow this to happen? This is not our position. Our position is to proclaim love. My God loves you. I know it looks bad. I know it looks terrible. I know that it's breaking down. I know it just seems to be getting worse and worse. But my God knows what he's doing. If the church raises questions about God, how will the world ever find God? No, we need a church that's going to stand up and bring comfort and the peace. Comfort and peace in the midst. It's not time to be walking streets and holding signs and, 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 and fighting racial battles and fighting gun laws and whatever else. That's for the world to do. It's for us to rise up and say, my God is a God of comfort and peace. My God did not do this. It's time to be a light in the midst of darkness. When we see darkness, we should look for it and bring the light into the middle of it. If we won't shine the light, who will? Nobody else has the light. You realize that? Nobody else on the face of this planet has the light. No other religion has the light. No other belief system has the light. No other uh, denomination or religion has the light that you and I have. We have the light that will bring people answers in the midst of the worst tragedy. In the midst of the worst destruction. We have the light. Father, I pray that you strengthen us as your church. May we know your comfort and peace greater than we have ever known. May we know that in the midst of the destruction and the demise of this world, that we serve a God that is greater than all of it. We serve a God that has the answers. We serve a God that is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And you reign on the throne of your kingdom. And you have brought us into your family. You have adopted us as your children, your sons and your daughters of the King. We are royalty. And we operate in the power and the authority of the kingdom of God. Father, help us know your love so that we can reveal your love. Help us know and understand your comforting so we can comfort others. Help us know the peace of God that passes all understanding and that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus so that we can help bring peace to others. This is not a time to bring war and bring opposition. This is the time to rise up in our God-given gift, our God-given ability, our God-given mandate to change the world for the kingdom of God. Father, may you find us busy doing your work. May you find us occupying 
until you come. Strengthen us. Strengthen us in these last days so that we can stand for what's right and not compromise the truth. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. I pray right now in agreement with this church body in front of me for every family that was affected by this tragedy this past week. May you bring comfort and peace that only you can bring. May you move in such a way in that city that you are proclaimed as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May you receive all the glory and all the praise that what the enemy meant for evil, you will turn for good. For every family member, every friend, every co-worker, whether directly or indirectly involved in this situation. I pray for the governing system within that city. I pray for the mayor. I pray for the chief of police. I pray for every police officer that they will all operate according to the wisdom that you can give. That they will make no decision without consulting you first. I pray for our president of the United States of America in this time that he will be led and directed by the Holy Spirit. Bring people across his path today that will reveal to him the kingdom will, a kingdom principle, a kingdom agenda. That he can have the right words to say in due season. I pray for every church across America. I pray that even this morning and throughout this week and throughout the next several months that you will be proclaimed, you will be glorified, that even when the kingdom of God itself is opposed, we will rise up, we will join together, proclaiming that God is good. I pray for every pastor as they lead their congregations, that they will have the right words in due season to speak and proclaim to their church. Not words of fear, not words of discouragement, not words of let's just all get out of here, but words that will rise up in the midst of persecution. Words that will rise up in the midst of opposition and say, we will not back down. We will not compromise. We will stand for truth and we will stand for what's right. And through it all, Father, may you be glorified. May you be exalted. May you be lifted up as the King of kings. And that day when you come back through the clouds to take home your church, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that you are Lord. I pray for every young man that may have seen these tragedies this past week and may be trying to get an idea that they want to do the same thing. Satan, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. We stand in our kingdom authority and our kingdom right and kingdom privilege and we command every attack of the enemy to be thwarted in the name of Jesus. I command minds to be made right 
Minds that want to harm. Minds that want to hurt. Minds that want to do evil. I command that they be turned. And that they come to know their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You took a man that was persecuting the church, throwing them in jail, cutting their heads off, opening up their backs, killing children right in front of them. You took him. You took that man. And he became the greatest force for the kingdom of God. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The word that we uphold today. The word that we live by today. That man was opposed to your kingdom. But you did a work that only you can do. You changed his heart. Father, may their hearts be changed. May they find a church. Come to the altar set themselves under the submission of the word of God and under the submission of a pastor and become a mighty force for the kingdom of God. Father, we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. We rejoice always, giving thanks for everything that you do because you are faithful. We love you and honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. We want to give you an opportunity to sow, invest.